Let's begin. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to begin the early morning by looking at the gospel, thinking about it analytically, um, and we pray that you would bless us, not that it would puff up our heads, but that it would increase our hearts and increase our wonder at who you are and how you save us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, we're uh, beginning a new series on the Ordo Salutis. Ordo Salutis is Latin for order of salvation. And basically, it's looking at the sequence of stages of how we are saved, of how Christ's redemption is applied to us, right? So you could think of salvation in two ways, or, or, or two phases. Uh, what Christ has done, and how uh, the merits and the work of what Christ has done is applied to us, and it's applied to us in these stages, right? In this order, this very specific order that everyone goes through, who is a Christian. And so, this is it. Um, effectual calling is God. Uh, salvation begins. It's applied to us. The beginning of it is, is uh, God calling us to be a Christian, to, to have faith in Christ. Uh, regeneration is God awakening our hearts, making it alive, a heart, taking our uh, a stony hearts away and making it a heart of flesh. Faith is our trust and repentance in Christ. Uh, and then justification is that we're declared righteous. It's a verdict. Uh, it's, a, it's a judicial statement. And then sanctification is our growth in holiness, a life of good works, a life of continual repentance, a life of, of putting to death our sins and living unto Christ. And then finally, glorification, when we shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him, right? When we will sin no more. And, uh, and uh, that's the end goal of salvation. And um, uh, the Ordo Salute. Oh, and then the other thing, uh, very important, is that um, it's very important to think through uh, what we do in each of these steps. And so we are passive, meaning we don't do anything. We're inactive, we just, we're just inert, ineffectual calling and regeneration. This is nothing that we do. This is everything that God does. And then we are active in faith. And then again, we're passive in, in our justification. And then we're active in sanctification. And actually, it's not that God is not doing anything here, but we are cooperating with the Spirit. We're, we're, we're working with God. So sanctification is our work, it's our doing. And then we're passive in glorification. <coughs> this... Uh, this categorization is very important as we think through um, how salvation works. And I wanted to also graphically display it as a timeline. Um, and so if you think of this you know, as the time you were born, at some point in your life, you are effectually called. And I wanted to show that it actually, uh, regeneration and effectual calling is really one and the same thing. <clears throat> It's just two different ways to look at it. And I think this is one of the things uh, that I think Ordo Salutis is so helpful because it breaks apart what in time is really one thing and it helps us to think through what's going on. But basically God awakens our hearts, He makes it alive, He calls us to Himself. That's one and the same act. It's not like He effectually calls us and then two years later He regenerates us. Mm -hmm. right? When He effectually calls us, He regenerates us. When He regenerates us, He calls us. Actually, some people put it in different order. It doesn't really matter. They're one in the same act. And then I put in time, if you see in my graph at number six, right? 
there's a space between effectual calling and faith. Um, the only reason why I did that is because graphically I couldn't figure out how to put it closer together, but it should be indistinguishable. So the, the, the space here would be milliseconds, if I can get all nerdy on you. Um, all four of these things happen together, in other words, right? So God effectually calls us, and when God effectually calls us, we respond by faith, by trusting in Him, by repenting of our sins. And through faith, we are justified. We're declared righteous in Christ. We're accepted. Um, we would also put here, and then we're not going to go over it because uh, we just don't have the time, but we're also adopted. Adoption. Adoption and justification is two different ways of talking about the same thing. This is a, um, a legal declaration that we're righteous. Adoption is a relational declaration. You're my son. You're my son. You're righteous. Same thing, just different ways of expressing it. All of this happens together, but they're apart. And I think this is really helpful in thinking about order salutis because this happens first before this happens. Does that make sense? And in fact, these two are kind of interchangeable, but this happens before this happens. So faith precedes justification. Does that make sense? Um, and then we uh, uh, live a lifetime of sanctification. Right? So I try to display that. For some of us, it's going to be 60 years of sanctification. For some of us, uh, much less. A life of, of continually dying to ourselves, living unto Christ. And then finally, glorification. So sanctification is the only thing that's a process. Okay, let me put that down. Everything else is an act. It's a moment. Sanctification is the only thing that's a continual, ongoing process. And then glorification, also an act, where God um, uh, makes us anew. He gives us a, a, a resurrected body, and we will, we will be like Christ. Okay, so, um, a lot of people don't like the order of salutis. Uh, because they say, why are we wonking out? <laughs> Why are we like analyzing this in such a, um, a precise theological manner? I mean, doesn't it take away the mystery of salvation, right? Why do we have to think about it in such logical terms? And I think it helps us to understand the nature of salvation. Uh, because the first question we should be asking is, um, how are we saved and what do we do? How do we contribute? And if you look at the progression of salvation, in the, at the beginning, we are passive. We don't do anything. We have no activity. Salvation doesn't begin with our initiative. It begins with God's initiative, to which we contribute nothing. And if it is God's initiative, what does that mean? The implication, the logical implication is then, that means salvation is of the Lord. That means that we are predestined, right? If we are predestined, um, it means that it's not we who choose ultimately God, but it's God who ultimately chooses us. And this magnifies the grace of God, and I think this deeply comforts us. So that's the first thing, why it helps us to think through the Ordo Salutis. This is why um, the Ordo Salutis is a battleground for a lot of Christians, because we have fights, because it's really a, a fight over whether or not we're predestined. If you accept this order, you're predestined. If you mix the order up a little bit, and we'll talk about that later on, then we're not predestined, right? Then 
if this comes first, then we are the one who are, who's choosing God. We're the one who initiates. Does that make sense? Um, the other thing I think this helps us is that it gives us a language to talk about our salvation. Um, there's a lot of confusion, I think, about what the gospel is. And uh, one of the questions that people have all the time is, are we saved by works? Right. So let me write this down, because this is an important question. Are we saved by works? And a lot of people have different answers and different analysis, and you look at different Bible verses, and everyone's scratching their heads, and they're very confused. And this has made all the easier to understand if you understand the Ordo Salutis. The correct answer is, what well, depends on what you're talking about. Because uh, the Ordo Salutis, this means salvation, this is all salvation. And so are we saved by works? In one way, yes. Because sanctification is our good works, our good deeds. And so can we be saved without works? No, of course not. It has to be included. But um, it depends on what you're talking about. Are you talking about justification? This, in many ways, is the heart of our salvation, right? Everything leads up to this. Everything flows out of this. Justification is the heart, right? It's the center. Are there works in, in justification? No, we're, we're passive. So I think it's much better not to say, are we saved by works? Because that's imprecise language. We are saved by works. Depends on what you're talking about. The better question to ask is, are we justified by works? And the answer is no, we're not justified by works. But are we, uh, are we um, sanctified by works? Yes. So does that make sense? Um, this will become more apparent as we, as we move on. Um, all right, so, uh, so that's point number two. Uh, point number three is that the whole order, ordo is salvation. Um, I remember this was really uh, revolutionary for me in understanding. I used to always think of, of, of salvation as justification. Right? When God, like the moment you believe, you know, people say, oh, when were you saved? I was saved when I believed, right? I heard the gospel, effectual calling, uh, my heart was warmed, I believed, I was justified. And so we tend to restrict salvation to these first four steps. But salvation is all of these steps. And so um, I think it helps us to understand salvation comprehensively. So we can say we were saved, we have been saved. Ah! <laughs> Welcome. Let me uh, gently close the door again. Um, we have been saved. We are being saved, right? Right now we're being saved as we're being sanctified. There's handouts, I think you guys can hand out the cake. And then there is a future salvation. We will, we will be saved. So I love this. As we think about the Order of Salutis, it really helps us to realize <coughs> there's a past, present, future component of salvation. Does that make sense? This whole process is salvation. Um, and then finally, uh, number four, uh, the whole ordo is linked together, right? They're all interconnected. Um, and we see that in Romans 8. So can I have Nathan read Romans 8? Famous verse. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Yeah, so Paul basically cites four of 
the, uh, the ordo elements, he, he, he talks about predestination, um, which precedes the effectual calling, because predestination is what happens here, right? Before, before predestination, right? This happens before time, before the earth was even created. God determined who will be saved and who will not be saved. Then there's effectual calling, um, he said, what justified and glorified. So he lists four of the ordo, and notice what he says, right? He says, um, those whom he called, he also justified. So everyone who's here, everyone who, if you think of the ordo as a train, everyone who gets on this station will find themselves here, and everyone who's here will find themselves here. You cannot get off the train. Does that make sense? And therefore, what does that mean? It means that it's, it says an enormous amount about our preservation. Can we lose our salvation? Right? So let's say you're here at this phase, and you're struggling. You're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with sin and temptation. Can you lose your salvation? The answer is no, because you've been effectually called. All those effectually called will be justified. All those justified will be glorified. So it tells us, it gives us deep assurance about um, uh, 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 our salvation. Uh, once you're here, you have to end up here. And then number five, and this is the last point, uh, I think it enormously helps us as we think about sacraments. Um, I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of confusion about the sacraments. What are the two sacraments? K. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tracy, what are the two sacraments in the church? Baptism and communion. Yes, right? So you can think of baptism and communion as signs, visible signs of the ordo. Does that make sense? This is enormously helpful. What, are, what, what is baptism and communion? Are, are they just rituals that we're supposed to do? I'm not sure why we're doing it. No, they're reflecting the ordo. And so baptism reflects, I graphically couldn't figure out how to put it in between, okay. but um, it reflects faith and justification, right? Baptism is a sign of our faith. It's a sign of our being declared righteous, that we are accepted by God, that we're adopted as sons of God. And then communion is an image of sanctification, right? Because we are fellowshipping with God, we're fellowshipping with each other. Now, uh, a lot of people have difficulty with this. They want to break this all apart and they want to make them as separate signs. So people always come up to me and say, why can't I just take communion if I haven't been baptized? And the answer is, how can you separate the two? Baptism must precede communion. How, so, I mean, it's equivalent to someone saying, I'm ready for sanctification now, but I'm not, uh, I don't want to go through these first four steps. No, you have to go through these first four steps and then you enter sanctification. So, you know, I mean, is this some, some terrible evil sin to take communion without taking baptism? No, but it's breaking up the symbolism and the imagery. Does that make sense? Right. There's a beautiful imagery, beautiful order. All right, so that is my introduction to the Ordo Salutis. Now we're going to focus in on effectual calling. But any quick questions on that about the Ordo? So I'm going to refer to it in short, the Ordo. Any questions? No? Can I get a pen? Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's begin with the call. Um, salvation begins, I think this is so deep and profound, our salvation, the application of salvation to us begins with God calling us. And so what is this call? Let's read First Peter. <clears throat> Jeff, can I have you read that? 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah. So what is the call? Very simple. It is God calling us out of darkness, sin, and rebellion, and into light, into fellowship with the Son, into reconciliation with God. Um, and I think at this point, the question then comes, isn't everybody called? Right? Or another way to put it is, doesn't everybody, I mean, doesn't God call all people to himself? Doesn't God call all people to repentance, to faith in Christ? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so this is what, the rest of the class. I'm going to focus on this. There are two calls, okay? Um, the first call is what we would call uh, the general gospel call. And the general gospel call is for everyone. And wh where do we see a great example of this? Mark 16. Can I have Aikman read that for us? And Jesus said to his disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yeah, let me just make a quick note of verse 16. Notice that um, believes and baptism are linked. Okay, so there's the necessity of baptism. But um, focusing on verse 15, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Go and call, right? Or what does it say? Preach, right? Proclaim. Proclaim, call, same thing. Go and call everyone, the whole world. Uh, Christina and I, we met in college, and uh, we met through this ministry called Contact Evangelism, where we basically go around campus sharing the gospel. And... Um, Christina and I, uh, both of us didn't like the sun very much, and we're both kind of like snide Calvinists. So we would say, who should we talk to? And I would always say, I think the, those God has predestined are in the shade. <laughs> so we would always go and talk to people sitting in the shade, never out in the sun. Um, um, that is incorrect, right? God indiscriminately, without uh, 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 picking and choosing, without you know, saying who's in the shade, um, calls all people. Everyone is called to salvation. Um, but there is within that general call, but not everyone who hears the gospel is saved, right? So there is within that an effectual call. Well, let me separate this a little bit because I'm going to write some things underneath it. There's an effectual call. And the effectual call is only for the elect. Alright? And what's the difference between the effectual call and the, um, the general call? God calls everyone to himself, right? The gospel is preached, but attached to that call is the Spirit, right? So this is... Um, word only and this has word of course there's always a word plus the spirit 
right? So everybody hears the call, but then God sends His Spirit to those whom He has elected, those whom He chooses, and then they, and only they, can respond. And therefore, it's called the effectual call. Um, where do we see that? Uh, we see that in Acts 16. Uh, but let me give you an example of this, right? So, uh, an example of the general gospel call is, imagine um, a judge summons you to court. So, you receive this summons. Now, does the summons, right, you call to the court, does the summons by itself have power to bring you to court? No, you're free to, to crumble it up and throw it away. Um, you don't have to go. But suppose the judge wants to guarantee that you'll come to the court. What will he do? He will send you the summons with a police officer. And the police officer will say, let's go. <laughs> and now you are, you have to come. <clears throat> That's what the effect. I mean, that's a terrible analogy. I couldn't, that's the only one I could think of. Because the spirit is not a police officer and God is not some hostile judge. But that is what is happening in the effectual call. God accompanies his word with the Holy Spirit and therefore you are compelled to come. You have to come. You have to respond. So uh, that's where we get the word effectual. Does anyone know what the word effectual means? SAT vocabulary test. Oh, crap. Eggman, <laughs> you, 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 you have sighed. What does effectual mean? Um. Okay, what does... You always break it down. Ignore the, uh, the suffix. Right. Look at just the root word. What is the root word? Effect. Effect. So if something is effectual, it is... Mandatory? Mm, no, not exactly. It's closer. Who, who can tell me? Guaranteed. Yes. So, um, it, it, um, it affects what it intends. Does that make sense? Um, another way to think of it is what's the opposite? Ineffectual. <laughs> right? So, let's say you are an ineffectual, um, you are uh, an ineffectual romantic. Every girl you go to says, <laughs> right? You have an intention, but it never comes about. If you are an effectual suitor, every girl you go to, you turn on the suave charm, every girl swoons, okay? So that's what effectual means. It produces, it affects what it intends. Um, and so, let's look at Acts 16. Where are we? Uh, are we at you, Aikman, or are we you, Harry? Harry. Sure. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a mm -hmm. seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Yeah, so think this through with me. Paul goes to these group of women, and he tells them the gospel, which means what? This is the general gospel call. He's telling everybody, believe in Jesus. But God effectually calls Lydia. How and why? The very last uh, sentence, the Lord opened her heart. And we're getting here to regeneration. Regeneration and effectual calling are integrally linked. But God sends the Spirit and opens up her heart so that she responds. That's the effectual call. 
And if we understand that there is an effectual call, what is the implication of this? The implication is that it is ultimately God who chooses who will be saved and not you. Because can you effectually call yourself? No. It depends on the Spirit. It does not depend on you. Therefore, it is God who initiates. It is God who starts the salvation. And therefore, since we are passive, it is up to God, right? Um, I think this uh, uh, is a really deep and profound thing. You know, why are you, a, why are you a Christian and why is your friend not a Christian? And the answer is because you have been effectually called. And, and, and that's the difference. Um, I know this has a lot of implications, so we're going to circle back around to it. Don't worry, I'll leave you guys time for questions. But uh, turn, turn the next page. Um, and so therefore, we see that uh, the difference between the, uh, the general call and the effectual call is that the general call is external and it is uh, visible, right? Everyone sees what's going on, right? This, uh, during the worship service, I'm gonna be calling everyone to Christ. So you guys are gonna witness the general call. But the effectual call is internal. Maybe we can say secret, because no one knows what's going on, and it is invisible. Does that make sense? So it's something that happens behind the scenes, right? You know, there's K, and then there's uh, somebody else. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm saying, believe in Jesus. And K's friend is like, <laughs> K's friend is like, this makes no sense to me. But K is like, wow, my heart is touched. This is amazing. Jesus is glorious. I, I, I want to come to him. What's the difference? Is the difference that K is super smart and his friend is retarded? <laughs> is the difference that K has a sensitive soul? His favorite movie is Bambi. You know? And, and therefore, when he hears the gospel, he's just, his tender heart just moves towards God and his friend is cold. His favorite movie is Terminator. No. The difference is not temperament or predilection or personality or background the difference is the Spirit of God the Spirit of God moves in Kay's heart and makes the words the gospel words that are be, that are being said feel powerful and effectual and it draws Kay but not his friend does that make sense um, where do we see that we said in so many passages let's look uh, turn the next page Matthew 22 where are we um, Carmen can I have you read that yeah for many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. So here, the first word called, Paul, I mean, um, uh, Jesus is talking about the general call. Um, but few are chosen. So within this general call, there's only few. Not everyone who's called generally will believe. Only few are chosen. So where are we? Um, <laughs> Erica, <laughs> I had a brain fart. Can I have you read First Thessalonians? For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. There it is. How do you know that you're chosen? Because you didn't just hear the word, but the word came with power and the Holy Spirit. And therefore you believed, right? There's the distinction between the general call and the effectual call. First Corinthians, Tommy. 
<coughs> we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, Jews and follow, folly to Gentiles. Uh, let me stop you right there. So he, Paul says we preach to everybody. He doesn't say who is the elect. He doesn't, like Christiana and I, look for only people in the shade. <laughs> but he preaches to everyone. But what he says sounds retarded. It sound, it's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to the, to the Gentiles. But verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of yeah, God. Yeah, Christ is powerful. Christ is wise in their eyes. Not because they're insightful in any way, but because they have been called. Because the Spirit opens their eyes, Spirit opens their hearts. And therefore, to be a Christian is to be someone who is called. Why are you a Christian? Not because you are insightful or intelligent or, sens or, or spiritually sensitive. You are a Christian because you were called. That is why. No merit on your part. No uh, benefit or credit to you, but only because of the sovereign grace of God. God sovereignly called you. This is why Romans 1 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are, you are a called people. So there are implications if we understand this effectual <coughs> calling, the doctrine of effectual calling. Number one, this is God's so sovereign act. We are entirely passive, which means that we are predestined. You know I, know, I know I keep hammering this, uh, but we don't like this truth. We do not like predestination. I'll tell you why. Because it takes away our power. It takes away our autonomy. It takes away our choosing, and we don't like it. Um, but we have to remember that salvation is, begins with us being entirely passive. And I think a wonderful illustration of this is the story of Lazarus, right? Uh, in John chapter 6, uh, where are we? Uh, Melissa, can you read John 6? When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come Oh, I'm out. sorry, John, did I say John 6? I meant John 11. Yeah, but keep going. Okay. Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloths. Yeah, this is a wonderful image of the call. Because before God calls us, what are we? We are dead. We are spiritually dead. Now, can dead people rouse themselves up? Can dead people call themselves up to life? Can dead people do any initiative? No, I think the passivity of the dead is really impactful because the dead can do nothing. It is only when Jesus speaks to Lazarus, does Lazarus rise from the dead? And I love the fact that he's in a tomb, which means there are lots and lots of dead people. Does Jesus call all dead people? Does Jesus just rise and all the dead rise? No. He says, Lazarus, come out. And so there's a specificity, which means that it depends on God, right? Um, and I think that uh, uh, this is an upsetting doctrine for a lot of people because it doesn't seem fair. If it depends on God calling, God initiating, then why doesn't God call everyone? Why doesn't God call only Christians? That doesn't seem fair. Why shouldn't God call everyone? And I think my answer is that the gospel is inherently not fair. Because what is fair? Fair is we all perish. We all, uh, we all remain alienated from God, separate from God, into the outer darkness forever. That's fair. 
grace is inherently unfair. Grace is God's sovereign mercy. And I know it seems uh, a really harsh, really hard, like to, uh, the very first doctrine of the effect of, of ordo salutis seems so hard, but if you get past the hardness, there's something really sweet inside. And what's really sweet is that salvation is of the Lord. It's God who alone saves us. We have no part in our own salvation, and therefore it is all of God's grace. If you believe in effectual calling, what that means is that we're saved by grace. Can you take any credit for yourself? No. And therefore it really magnifies the grace of God. You, pray, you say, God, thank you for rescuing me, for calling me. I had no merit, I had no, uh, nothing to attract you, but you called me, thank you. Um, and so it magnifies the grace of God. And I think the other thing is that it produces deep humility because if you are effectually called versus salvation starting with your faith, if it's faith, then what does that mean? It means there was some sort of spiritual genius in you, right? You figured it out, all your friends are dummies, they couldn't figure it out. And even if you try to tell yourself, you know, uh, 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 I'm going to be humble. You can't help but to feel like I'm better. But if you believe in effectual calling, can you say that you're better in any way? No, you cannot. Why are you a believer in the, and your friend is not? It has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with, with, with your insight. It has everything to do with God, right? So I wanted to open it up for questions um, before we move on to point number two, implications. But... Does anybody have questions? Yes, Jeff. So we are not saved by works then. <coughs> saved is a vague word. Uh, saved is this whole salutis, ordo no, but, salutis. But I'm just saying... It's we are saved by works. By his don't, works. Don't edit that by itself. But No, no, but by... But the key No, by our own by. works. So justification is Christ's works applied to us, right? Right. That's the Greek word for Christ. So Christ's works... But this is our works. But then if you say that, aren't you saying that it, our salvation is hinged upon what we do? Yes and no. Depends <laughs> on what you're talking about, right? Does salvation depend, does our salvation depend on our good works? The answer is yes. Because without this, you cannot be saved. This is part of the ordo. But if you are effectually called, you will most certainly be sanctified. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? God's Spirit will not leave you alone. He will do this marvelous work in you. And so you will live for Him. Now, there is a variation in sanctification. So, absolutely. Like, it does depend on you. Um, a great way to put it, uh, Augustine put a great way uh, to describe sanctification. It 100% depends on you and 100% depends on God. So sanctification is a cooperative work, but it abs absolutely that our works are involved. Does that answer your question? No. Uh, <coughs> press more. Like press more. What, what do you? What's the? Um, what's the uh, uh, question you have? So you're saying that that we are saved because he effectually called us mm -hmm. to enable us to do the good works. Yeah, each of these steps is necessary. We're saved because He's regenerated us. We're saved because we believe. We're saved because we've been effectually, I mean, we've been justified. But you cannot have good works unless He effectually called you. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And better to say, we are saved, 
we are being saved, we will be saved. I think this is why the word saved is so vague for a lot of people. They don't know what they're talking about. If they're talking about the whole thing, good. But I think a lot of times people are really talking about this. No, I think... So I you should just say, are we, are we justified by words? I think when people say the, the, the phrase saved by words, <coughs> they're thinking like how a Buddhist would think or how you do enough good deeds and then you'll exit whatever Yeah, that's why I think we're not saved by works is kind of a sloppy statement. It's not true to the language of the Bible because the Bible will say you're saved by works. Right. But that's because the Bible's talking about this. The biblical term for salvation applies to the whole caboodle. It's the whole thing. So it's better to be more precise. Well, no, no. But, say, but we're not justified if you're, by works. I think if you're talking about like Buddhist thinking is you do so much and then you then you can enter in the next phase rather than the Christian thinking that if you're because of what he has done then yeah. you're so I think people are thinking of justification yeah so I would say <coughs> a more precise language even justification is wonky theological talk I would say accepted by God <coughs> right that's what justification essentially is. We're accepted by God. Are we accepted by God based on our works? The answer is absolutely not. Right. Are we saved by works? Well, again, it depends on what you're talking about, but the answer is yes. We are saved by works. Because sanctification is part of our salvation. We're not just like accepted by God and God's like, go ahead, live any way you want. Woohoo! Party! Right? No, God's going to say, now I'm calling you to holiness. And so we are being saved by moving towards holiness, by our good works, our acts of charity, acts of, of, of dying to our sins. Does that make sense? So better to say accepted by God. Mm -hmm. All right, any other questions? I'm gonna leave Jeff in a haze of befuddlement. Any questions on predestination? There must be. Okay, so what about the people that uh you know that you see them, they have the fire and everything, right? And then all of a sudden they turn away from God. Yeah. So is that considered that they never had effectual calling? Or is it effectual calling still, but uh, you're just in like a slump right now? <laughs> Absolutely, because all Christians, I think, do go through dry periods of their Christian life. Um, so <clears throat> this is why I think it's not um, helpful to ask who is elect. Because... Um, it's internal, it's secret, it's invisible what's going on, this application of salvation. Better to say, so it's not helpful and we had a, 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 a maybe two months ago, we had this whole Sunday school class in which everyone got into an uproar um, about uh, uh, salvation and church membership, right? And uh, church membership has to do with what is visible and salvation has to do with what is a lot in many ways invisible, right? Because this is, this, this, this is certainly invisible. No one can see what's going on. And so much better to talk about um, um, are you living the Christian life? Are you baptized? Are you taking communion? Like, like uh, we, we restrict ourselves to what we know, but we can't know for, I, like, okay, I have no idea if you're elect. So I have, but does that make, I, I don't know if that, I, I'm like, <laughs> shadow box myself in the corner here. Yeah, well, I guess, like, because then, you know, that makes you, I guess, so what ultimately gives you the faith that you are considered elect? Do you mean? Yeah. Just the, just that the Holy Spirit will, like, give you the confidence, you know? 
So the external signs <coughs> correlate very closely to what's going on invisibly. So if, if I can go back to, um, where are we? Verse, uh, go back to the first page, look at Mark 16. Um, it says in verse 16, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, how do you know if you truly believe? It's a little bit of a subjective judgment, right? But your belief is examined by the church. You are baptized into the church, and therefore it's an external sign. You can look at your baptism, or you can look at your life of Christian works, charity. You can look at the fact that you're embedded in the church, and you can find some degree of assurance in that. Does that make sense? <coughs> Do you have a further question? Uh, no. I guess I was just trying to figure out, like, uh, you know, like, say people that do get burned out about it, you know, can you say, uh, I don't know, I guess just trying to boost them to... Oh, you know what? Let me, let me take it on another track. I think it's not helpful to think about, do I really have faith? Um, am I really living a holy life? I think to some degree this is a little bit too narcissistic or too um, inward thinking. It's better to think about it in terms of what God has done for us, right? So it begins with what God is doing and therefore I think you can find a great deal of assurance in your salvation when you think that it is God who is saving you, God who initiated. You focus on did Christ truly die for me? Is he my Lord and Savior? And if he is, then you can find deep assurance in that. Does that, does that make sense? I guess you're asking, how, do, how can I have assurance? Right? How can I know I'm saved? Kind of. I think the order helps us enormously because it begins with God. You're saved because God saves you. So it doesn't depend on you. So it's so, so okay. I mean, if, if you fall into temptation, if, if, if you find yourself in a season of bitterness, unforgiveness, um, envy, and you wonder, am I truly saved? You know, I wouldn't look at my, your sanctification. I would look at, to God. All right. Any other questions on predestination? All right. Then let's press forward. Um, number two. So it gives, this is what Kay was asking. Um, it gives us deep assurance. Because if we're called by God, we, are surely, we will surely be saved. Um, let's look at Romans, uh, John 6. Let me read it for you uh, to save time. Um, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I think it gives us enormous assurance that if we have genuinely experienced the grace of God in our lives, if we have genuinely... Uh, felt God's effectual call and our hearts warmed to Him because of the presence of the Spirit, then we can have deep assurance that we will, we will, we will get here to glorification. And then the third um, application, implication is that we need to live true to our call. Um, the call begins with passive, uh, we are passive in our call, but it doesn't lead to passivity. Look at Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I think that's really interesting. Paul reminds people that you've been called, in which they were passive, and then he says, walk in a manner worthy, which means what? Verse 2. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of these things mark the Christian. All of these things are, are components of the Christian life. And therefore, you look to your calling. You remember when God called you. You were dead to Him. You were dead in your sins. But God enlivened your heart. God spoke the gospel to you. So you look to that and you say, I must now live a life that is worthy of that calling. Um, and the last thing I put is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, I just wanted to emphasize again that we are a confessional church. So I'm not just pulling this out of thin air, so to speak. This is not Michaelism that you're learning. Um, but this is uh, uh, the tradition and heritage of teaching that we ascribe to, which is uh, the Reformed faith. And so in the Westminster Confession, let me just read the first two lines. All those whom God has predestined unto life and those only he is pleased in his appointed time effectually to call by his word and spirit. Notice that they're combined, right? And so that's the effectual calling. That's the doctrine. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing because um, it's actually quite dense. Um, but with that, any questions? And next week we're going to look at regeneration, which is very closely related, but it's a different aspect. I guess my question is, can you lose it? But because it's secret and invisible, you never really know if you were at all, or if the person were at all, or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think, like, when we say, can you lose it, I think we're afraid, we say to ourselves, can I have genuine faith and lose it? And the answer is no. If you have genuine faith, if you genuinely been regenerated, you cannot lose your salvation. The, the, the kind of salvation that you can lose is where you completely fool yourself. And how do you completely fool yourself? You don't completely fool yourself by saying, oh, I had faith. I was moved by the grace of God in Christ. No, you fool yourself by thinking, hey, I'm attending church. I'm going to mercy ministry events. I don't co commit murder. I, I pay my taxes. I don't lie on my um, 1040 form. And so you assure yourself, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm accepted by God because I'm a good person. And that's how you fool yourself. The Pharisees fooled themselves because they thought they were righteous. They lived a righteous life. And so if you understand, like the more you understand what faith is, the more you understand what regeneration is, the more you understand effectual calling, the less likely you'll be fooled. I guess that, does that make sense? The less likely you'll be able to say, oh, I thought I believed. I think a lot of people uh, put their assurance of, of salvation on how much they cried, maybe when they got saved or something like that. Um, that's, I mean, I think then again, you sort of subtly t turn it to how much you're doing. But if you understand that it's, it, what it, it is God who saves you, does that make sense? If you understand it is God who saves you, it is God who initiates you, it is God by His grace who pulled you out of darkness, then you can have assurance. Then you can have a deep rest in the fact that God will not let you go. He has you in His hands. I feel like I'm trying to do a Jedi mind trick on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to uh, walk out and really look at salvation um, in a very logical, analytical way. But we, we don't do it just to puff up our minds or to feel good about our understanding, but rather uh, I pray that it would create deep humility, deep gratitude, deep wonder, 
at who you are, the fact that you loved us, the fact that you called us, even though we were dead, just like Jesus called Lazarus. And we praise you for this. Give us this deep assurance that comes from knowing you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you, guys.